0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy Podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. The Future of Pharmacy Podcast is brought to you by OmniCell. Now here's our host, Ken Perez.
1: Welcome to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm Ken Perez, OmniCell Vice President of Healthcare Policy and Government Affairs, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us. Today's health system pharmacy environment continues to grow in scope, scale, and complexity. And yet, many leaders are forced to rely on reports, spreadsheets, and static dashboards to manage their pharmacy's performance. The inevitable result is that those pharmacies get stuck in a cycle of suboptimal performance, while those that use new dynamic intelligence tools are thriving. Some technologies such as predictive analytics are available today. Others like prescriptive analytics are forthcoming. Joining me today to discuss this topic are Jennifer Tryon, Associate Vice President of Chief Pharmacy Officer for Wake Forest Baptist Health. Welcome to the program, Jen.
0: It's a pleasure to join you today, Ken.
1: And we also have Alan Flynn, Assistant Professor at the University of Michigan Medical School's Department of Learning Health Science. Alan, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here today, Ken. Thank you. Thank you both. Let's get started. Jen, please share with our audience a brief overview of your organization and your current major medication management initiatives.
0: Thanks, Ken. And I'll I'll just say from a high level, like many organizations, Wake Forest Baptist Health has recently undergone a strategic combination with Atrium Health Organization, and now we operate as a region of that larger organization. Wake Forest consists of approximately 1,500 beds across five hospitals in central North Carolina. That includes one 885 bed academic medical center that has an NCI designated cancer center and a pediatric hospital within it. The region includes 400 clinics, 20 infusion sites, 10 community pharmacies. Two of those are duly accredited as specialty pharmacies And we have advanced practice laws for pharmacists in North Carolina, so we have incorporated advanced practice pharmacists as mid-level practitioners in many of our care models. We're also advanced in our population health journey toward full risk, and pharmacy team members are critical to those services. Thought I'd just share a little bit about our payer mix. Our breakdown is about 30% non-governmental, 65% governmental, and about 5% self-pay. Our annual inpatient volumes are about 61,000 hospital discharges and 4.3 million outpatient encounters. Our pharmacy team specifically consists of 550 FTE. And we dispense about 750,000 prescriptions from our community pharmacies annually and about 9 million inpatient doses annually. We use Epic as our electronic health record and predominantly OmniCell cell automation. By way of our major medication management initiatives, like many others, there's a lot going on, but I, I selected a few across our health system, and those include expanding our state-of-the-art controlled substance surveillance program to all of our hospitals, We're supporting growth in our retail and specialty pharmacies. We're incorporating a system formulary across all of our sites. And then we have a commitment and a renewed commitment coming out of COVID in particular to high-performing pharmacy supply chain practices. And lastly, I'll mention our advancing uh, use of automation technology and data intelligence across our medication use processes. Well,
1: thanks, Jen. That's an amazingly impressive enterprise that you're providing leadership for. So, Alan, please talk about the work you and your teams are doing at the University of Michigan Medical School.
2: Sure, Ken. And yeah, just hearing from Jen about the scale and the complexity of the enterprise operations at Wake Forest, it's so impressive here at uh, Michigan, I'm in the medical school and my role is as a researcher in informatics. um, So I don't have the same responsibilities for our pharmacy operations here at Michigan Medicine, but we do have a large institution where we provide care um, in the Southeastern Michigan region as well. But turning to the research kinds of things that I think are very much related to our topic for today, some of the work going on here includes Things like studying prescription data and figuring out ways to systematically detect using computers, um, strange or rare or anomalous prescriptions. So we've done a little bit of work in that area. And also I've worked with some colleagues here, Corey Lester and Vinod Vidaswaran, on NLP using natural language processing to actually score the quality and completeness of electronic prescriptions. So um, that's one area of research that's of interest here. Some other areas briefly are clinical decision support for pharmacogenomics. And uh, we've had the opportunity to work with the CPIC Informatics Group, which is a federally funded group led by James Hoffman with help from many other pharmacists, including Mark Dunnenberger and Amy Pasternak, really wanting to bring the genetic determinants of dosing and drug selection into everyday pharmacy practice. And it's an easy thing to say in just a few words, but a very challenging thing to do. We've certainly also been working on bringing more AI to bear in our care that we provide here at Michigan, more sophisticated risk scoring is one example of that. And There's a lot to learn about how to do that, so the implementation of that is a focus of our research. We do some network-based research, and in particular, we have a project here where we're working in pediatric neuro-oncology on software for drug selection that takes account of features of drugs, including how well each drug crosses the blood-brain barrier to better treat pediatric brain tumors, a very important initiative. So all of these things, really, from an autonomous pharmacy perspective, need to come together somehow and be integrated somehow. And I'm excited to talk to you more about that.
1: Well, thanks, Alan. I know that both of you are highly engaged members of the Autonomous Pharmacy Advisory Board and your commitment's very admirable. Alan, what is it about the vision and the promise of the autonomous pharmacy that appeals to you?
2: When I think about the concepts of the autonomous pharmacy and data-driven medication management, for me, this puts a focus on improving practice by automating some tasks um, that we do specifically to free up more expert time for thoughtful, interpersonal, clinically focused, direct patient care. I'm a strong proponent of using technology to give experts in pharmacy more time to spend with patients. In my view, the Autonomous Pharmacy Advisory Board and its work have raised the preeminent question about the future of pharmacy practice, and the question is, what work in pharmacy should computing and machines ultimately do, and what other work should the pharmacy experts be doing? That's that's a challenging question for all of us, and that's what we're really working on, is figuring out the best possible answer to that question. Lastly, I would just say envisioning and further specifying the five levels of the autonomous pharmacy framework. This gives everyone in pharmacy a chance to participate in building the future, especially for levels four and five of the framework, where we have to envision new ways of working, ways that don't exist yet in order to achieve those levels of autonomy.
1: Well said, Alan. Now, Jen, you chair the advisory board. What is it about the autonomous pharmacy that motivated you to serve in that leadership capacity?
0: Many of them parallel what Alan has shared. I'll just echo onto that with what I see as some of the challenges in healthcare that we live as healthcare leaders every day. And we're not sure, we do our best to work through some of those challenges, but we don't have the tools and resources to really be able to elevate our practices in the way that we need to and in a way that our our patients and communities really need from us. So I see a lot of effort on healthcare teams to provide care to patients that's not only safe, but achieves a higher standard, a higher level of quality. We try to be accessible to our patients. We try to be cost conscious, but we don't have enough people and we don't have enough data insights to know how well we're doing on a day-to-day basis or how best to deploy our limited pool of resources to best meet the needs of our patients. I also see healthcare as a constantly evolving market where we have patient outcomes and lower costs of care at the top of our minds. But our systems today aren't comprehensive enough yet to support high-performing medication use processes or a data-driven approach to care. So for me, the Autonomous Pharmacy offers a vision that is long overdue, and a movement towards the Autonomous Pharmacy means that we can automate those manual processes that Alan was sharing and free our people up in a way that enhances medication safety, improves our efficiencies in our workflows to the extent that we can free people up to be more patient-facing and accessing actionable data insight that makes us more informed when we're making operational or business decisions. So for me, the Autonomous Pharmacy is going to allow us to redefine our approach and our standards for how we deliver healthcare. The other thing I'll share with you is having the opportunity to work with like-minded pharmacy and healthcare thought leaders on the advisory board to develop our journey towards a vision is really another element that drew me in.
1: Well, thanks, Jen. You mentioned being data-driven, so let's drill down on that topic of data management. Talk more about the persistent challenges that you and your peers are facing, and what are the implications of those challenges?
0: It's a great question. I, I think a big one is the lack of integration and interoperability across our various systems that we use to support our medication use processes. And For example, one health system counted 56 different systems that they're maintaining in order to manage the medication use process. And I don't think that system is unique. We all are managing many different systems. And as more technology gets introduced, it's not integrated and that can create more downstream problems. I think overall pharmacy teams spend an inordinate amount of time trying to get computer systems and automation to function properly and to talk with each other. And that introduces a lot of manual work and a lot of potential for errors it's labor intensive, it's frustrating, and it's stress inducing. So we need our systems to be much more assistive to support our practices and our systems. Data from the most recent ASHP survey of the pharmacy workforce within hospitals shows that pharmacists spend only a quarter of their time on what is defined as clinical activities, but they're spending nearly twice as much time on the drug distribution processes. And unfortunately, that hasn't changed much over time.
1: Thank you, Jen. Alan, how does Jen's experience relate to your work on pharmacy data management?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of overlap, I think, in in our experience here. And that's one of the reasons that it's, the work that we're talking about today is so important. I mean, imagine 56 different systems being used to manage medication flows in large enterprises today. Who can implement the 57th system? I mean, it's getting to be too much until these systems start working together more effectively. We have so many systems that don't communicate with each other as well as they might, but also we have many important concepts that are part of pharmacy practice, but they're not reflected yet in the systems that we use. One example from the hospital world is that our current electronic health records and other systems really don't help us manage very well the IV access, the lines, if you will, that folks have when they're undergoing intensive care. That's a pharmacy need for information. We could provide better services if we had a more clear idea of what nurses were seeing in every patient room in terms of access points where medications could be administered. Another example from the community pharmacy world, I'm happy to say, is some work where a gap is actually being closed now. And that's with the structured and codified SIGs, or Medication Prescription Instructions Um, for electronic prescriptions. So many people may not realize that we're relying essentially on text sentences today as we send e-prescription information through our systems, but that is changing and that text is becoming more highly structured and standardized, and that will ultimately help with decisions report and analytics down the road. So... While some excellent work has been done on data standards for pharmacy, which ultimately will lead to higher data quality for analytics, such as the work by NCPDP on the script standard, the work by Health Level 7 on fire resources, and work by the National Library of Medicine on RxNorm, we have a really long way still to go developing the data standards for the autonomous pharmacy that are going to solve this challenge of connecting 50 or more systems. I just want to make one other point to make it clear how large the data standards and interoperability challenge is. There was a study done three years ago this month where Yang and colleagues took a random sample of 25,000 prescriptions. The paper is titled Quality and Variability of Patient Directions and Electronic Prescriptions. And what they found, believe it or not, is that there were 832 ways to say, take one tablet daily in their large sample of modern electronic prescriptions. Having 832 ways of saying take one tablet daily is unwanted variance, and we see this unwanted variance all over in our pharmacy data today. We have to get to the point where we no longer use 832 representations of the same bit of information. This just goes to show you the scope and scale of the data standardization problem. You're listening to the
1: Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Paris, joined today by Alan Flynn of the University of Michigan Medical School and Jen Tryon of Wake Forest Baptist Health. Also, a reminder to our audience, be sure to register for Illuminate, OmniCell's three-day virtual education event. Illuminate features pharmacy leaders like Jen and Alan sharing strategies on leveraging pharmacy technology and best practices to improve outcomes. Illuminate is scheduled for October 5, 6, and 7. OmniCell Illuminate is 100% virtual and 100% free. Register today at OmniCell-Illuminate.com. Now, back to our program. Jan, you've spoken about improving performance and outcomes by harnessing the power of data analytics to provide actionable insights. Just how do we do that?
0: I'm reflecting here a little bit on what Alan was just sharing about the importance of connecting those disparate systems and getting everything to talk and being interoperable in order for us to really achieve the fully autonomous pharmacy. I'm going to speak to your question in terms of the autonomous pharmacy. So when we think about that, it actually includes several layers. There's a cloud data platform that will create integration and allow advanced analytics. There's automation of workflows that will minimize our reliance on human performance and reduces repetitive tasks. And then there's a third element here, which is the extensive use of data intelligence. We know that so often we turn to technology and incorporate technology across the medication use process as a way to try to drive greater efficiencies and greater safety, but we know incorporating automation alone is not enough. We have to leverage the data from all of our disparate systems in a way that we can deliver intelligent insights. The goal for us is to move pharmacists and other clinicians to the center of patient care where they can practice at the top of their license, where they can be with their patients and apply their training and their expertise to providing individualized care and improve patient outcomes. We believe the benefit of this model can improve value-based care. We'll know which patients will need certain interventions. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And then we can measure the outcomes. We think we will improve safety and we'll have insight into our safety processes as well as a feedback loop into our overall safety performance. Uh, We believe we'll improve efficiency and free up pharmacy professionals to provide clinical care. We'll reduce operating costs and we think we'll improve regulatory compliance.
2: Yeah, if I could build on that, I think this idea of uh, really thinking about what we can do with analytics, you know, to improve what we learn about every patient and then how we can help the next patient from that learning is important. There's a foundational supply chain component, certainly to the autonomous pharmacy. We have to make the drug products that uh, we purchase in our pharmacy enterprises store, prepare, supply. We have to make all that traceable and visible every step of the way from the dock where we receive drug products all the way to the patient. And then when we're able to do that, We have to go even further to chart or log doses received by patients and to collect outcomes data, including patient-reported outcomes. That way, we'll finally, I think, be able to have the data that we need to learn more from every patient's experience to help the next patient. Think about the power of having data and analytics for where and when a drug product was manufactured, when that product will expire, where that product has been, since it was created and shipped, where it's going, um, where it needs to go, whom it's for, and then outcomes. you know Think about how important it is to connect the outcomes once we've successfully delivered these products to patients and they've received the medications that um, are intended to help them. So really, the supply chain, in my mind, is really its more than a supply chain. It's a supply and outcomes chain, and we need to begin thinking that way. For
1: today's discussion, let's make some big assumptions. Let's say there's consensus on standards, a strong partnership between healthcare providers and IT vendors, and there's support for the needed integration of systems and increased interoperability. So Jen, what can that lead to in terms of greater data intelligence utilization?
0: Yeah, that would be a game changer. It would open the door to the information that we need as healthcare leaders, but that we can't access today Uh, Data intelligence is a critical component to making the improvements that we envision organizations achieving as they move toward the autonomous pharmacy and all of the associated benefits of that movement towards the autonomous pharmacy. Many of the problems with data intelligence can be addressed by applying advanced analytics, not in one location of care, but across the entire care continuum and i think the goal here is to drive actionable insights from medication related data that allow health systems to meet challenges uh, proactively as well as more efficiently so often we we are thrilled when we get a dashboard that is historical data and we're, we're thrilled to have that information because that's one step closer to being able to have informed decision making but what we're talking about here is, is being transformative and having real time actionable data that's available to the technician in the IV room who can make decisions with IV robotics to be safer in the production, to a a pharmacy leader or healthcare leader who's looking at a month snapshot to look at a financial analysis or overall productivity of an operation. If you think of this as a continuous cycle, it really starts with data collection for all of us, which is having access to data more efficiently, and in a standardized form uh, than what we have access to today. So in practical terms, as a pharmacy leader, my first step is to understand how our health system is doing on a day-to-day basis. So for instance, how we're doing with our medication inventory management, and usually we'll look at turns or expired medication or inventory evaluations. Once I have collected and analyzed the data, I would also like to be able to compare that to industry benchmarks if they're available. And the ideal state is that they are available. And not only are they available, but there's best practices that our organization can contribute to and that we can learn from in order to grow and get better. Then once we have enough data, we can also bring analytics to bear and analyze this data and learn from them to gain new insights which then we can bring closed loop using the data and the analytical insights to drive automation for improvement.
1: You're listening to the Future of Pharmacy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Perez, joined today by Alan Flynn and Jen Tryon. Now, Alan, building on Jen's points, how should we think about applying data intelligence?
2: Well, I think it's quite common these days to think of data intelligence in terms of levels of capability. Many folks have drawn this picture with a lower level, um, as Jen was just describing, as descriptive analytics used for reporting. We can and do generate reports about events that have taken place um, you know, within the pharmacy enterprise, our purchase reports, uh, movements of drug products through the enterprise, documenting when drug products are dispensed, charting administration to patients. All of these data are ca- captured today and can be reported on, and those reports do help us to better manage the pharmacy enterprise overall, but they're just not enough. They're not sufficient. They're not sophisticated enough uh, for the decisions that we're facing. The next level up is predictive analytics. And uh, this is coming on strong. I think we're on the cusp of a strong and big increase in the use of predictive analytics in pharmacy, what I sometimes refer to as prediction in practice. We're already using some predictive models in the area of the supply chain to achieve better forecasts for purchasing and for distribution of drug products. In the clinical world, predictive models have been advanced to predict things like the potential for an adverse drug event for a given drug for a given patient. And those are obviously very important for safety. Um, Furthermore, something very exciting, there are already some solutions on the market that can predict with reasonably high accuracy whether a new prescription fits with the profile of the patient for whom that prescription has been written. This kind of predictive analytics could be a major advance in medication use safety, and I look forward to learning more about it and doing more research on it. Finally, in that highest level, once we get very good at predicting things, we can sometimes actually then add specific actions and more highly automate certain tasks in pharmacy. This capability of higher automation will finally bring certain work tasks in the pharmacy world into a kind of a degree of automation that we might think of in terms of something like a self-driving car. With the self-driving car, uh, we rely on real-time analysis to turn the car, to speed the car up, slow the car down, to stop the car. All of these things happen automatically in a self-driving car. There are some instances in pharmacy and some workflows where once we get better at predictive analytics and get to prescriptive analytics, we'll actually have systems that will be able to do a lot more for us automatically.
1: So you've piqued my interest and this is super interesting. Can you give us some examples, Alan?
2: Sure, can. So one example comes from drug product reordering. So let's just run through those three levels again. Using descriptive analytics, you know, we would have historic stock counts and par values to guide reordering. This has been part of the pharmacy approach um, to medication management for a long time. It's what most health system pharmacies still do today, but we know it's suboptimal. It leads to stockouts and other problems. It it creates sometimes more work um, and it's difficult um, to manage. Predictive analytics will come um, and get improved when we can aggregate lots of data from multiple sites and ultimately get much better at predicting what's going to happen with the inventory at any given site over time. And so those, that, those moves are being made now and those kind of new tools that rely on much larger data sets are coming to the fore. And they're very much wanted. With prescriptive analytics, you can imagine once we get very good at understanding and predicting the changes that are going to take place in an enterprise-level inventory view of the world, then we'll actually be able to automate some reordering and take that step out of somebody's work today and make it automatic. And so that's connecting the action to the prediction, and that's what prescriptive analytics are all about.
1: And what other ways can you envision prescriptive analytics helping drug inventory management?
0: For me, this is the ultimate scenario of when you know systems are working well, you shouldn't even have to think about them. They're operating so well in the background, and so your thought processes can be forward-thinking with patients or whatever the the, the big challenges are that we need to, to work through, not on how do I solve a technology challenge or have the information I need. It's, it's just working so well in the background. So I'll share a few examples of how prescriptive analytics can apply to the drug supply chain and um, how we can benefit from higher automated workflows. One that comes to mind for me is increasing medication inventory control in remote locations like ambulatory clinics, where generally there are not as many resources or visibility into inventory to oversee the management of that inventory and that can sometimes lead to poor inventory practices like overbuying or urgent buying practices or or potentially waste. Prescriptive analytics could continuously support having the right drug inventory in those specific ambulatory clinics in the quantities that are needed to treat that clinic-specific patient population. So that's one example. Another one uh, could be related to reducing nationwide drug shortages, for example, and I, I know that's appealing to <laughs> to all of us, Uh, and that could happen through early detection of the issues and prioritization of where the limited drug supply should be distributed, and then ensuring that there's appropriate alternatives that are available at each of the the health systems and each of the sites to be able to um, prevent uh, discontinuity and, and interruptions in patient care. And then another idea here is earlier, I'd mentioned challenges that healthcare leaders have with just simply accessing data. With prescriptive analytics, we could potentially stabilize drug costs by providing leaders with consistent and reliable volume forecasts that can be used in negotiations with drug distributors rather than using volume projections that are based on unoptimized purchasing practices like bulk buys or overbuys, for example.
1: Alan, can you give us another practical example of predictive analytics?
2: Yes, and it's an example that I'm very excited about. You know, we can apply the same kind of thinking to medication dosing, to the decisions about what dose to administer to a patient. I'm very interested in the potential for medication dosing analytics on a large scale. And with enough information to do precise dosing, uh, we'll be able to do this for more people more of the time. And I think ultimately that will improve care and improve the value that people get from taking medications. Today, our descriptive analytic systems provide very basic decision support alerts. Typically, they're triggered by some upper and lower numeric bound for a dose that's thought to be too high or too low. But we know this approach creates a lot of noise, a lot of alert fatigue and it frustrates caregivers who are putting in many prescriptions for many patients. So it's just not sophisticated enough and we need to do better. Moving to predictive analytics, computer-based models can help to predict what a medication dose should be for a given individual based on the science of the drug Factors that are specific to that individual, things like their kidney function and other factors, sometimes genetic factors as well. And those things change over time. So these these doses need to be computed using these kind of algorithms in the moment. The predictive analytics would provide a strength rating also for every dose prediction of how confident the computer system is that it has come up with the proper dose based on historic records of dosing for other people. So all of this can be done. Uh, we know that it's possible, but the idea of the autonomous pharmacy is to do this on a much, much broader scale. The benefit could be that the clinicians can use these tools to predict optimal doses in practice on a routine basis, and the pharmacists will receive similar information as they evaluate prescriptions as part of their work. Looking out further into the future, the computer can take on the dosing task after an indication and other features about the patient have been settled. Um, Once those values are in, I imagine we will see some automated dosing routines in the future after a drug therapy has been selected, after appropriate information has been provided to the system. We're not there yet, and it will take a while to get there, but it's certainly possible to do that. When we do, some dosing could be fully automated.
1: So Jen, piggybacking on Alan's comments, how could predictive dosing change the role of pharmacists in your health system?
0: I think predictive analytics is still too far off into the future to say for sure how it's going to impact health system pharmacy. But it certainly could be transformative as we move closer to those models and really making some significant advances. So some of the signs of this technology are already starting to impact pharmacy supply chain, for example, with drug distributors experimenting with technologies to remove the variability from the supply chain or to improve efficiencies or to reduce waste to eliminate uh, drug shortages and, and hopefully to reducing overall drug costs.
1: Those are great points. Obviously, there's a lot of work ahead for us to get to that future state. And in terms of next steps, what should
2: our audience be thinking about and what actions can they take to get involved? Alan? Yeah, the next steps are so important here, and and I think you're right. And there's a lot of work ahead of us to achieve uh, higher degrees of uh, the autonomous pharmacy. I'm a big believer in collectively and collaboratively imagining the future, and for the higher levels of automation and the highest levels on the autonomous pharmacies framework, which was published in AJHP this year. Um, We have work to do together to imagine, based on the technology we see all around us today, what can be a better pharmacy practice for the future? This is a critical next step that should not be overlooked. Uh, Developing and communicating a collective future vision is key. As our vision for the future of pharmacy practices emerges, then we need to outline the key capabilities that, um, that will have to come about to turn that vision into an everyday reality. Some of these capabilities are apparent already, like the need for more highly interoperable systems that Jen has has mentioned. But some capabilities are still to emerge. Then we have more work to do with R&D research and development and innovation. I think we'll need to have more researchers focused on doing some groundbreaking work to bring about these new higher degrees of the autonomous pharmacy. But I'm delighted to say that we do have some researchers and centers already in place that are picking up this challenge. Alongside this R&D and innovation, we have a large body of work to do in the area of data standards and algorithm standards as well uh, that will be required to make the autonomous pharmacy a reality. Again, we're fortunate that we have standards development organizations already in place where we can pursue this work. And then finally, once these capabilities are demonstrated and we have the standards and we're getting to more interoperability and higher degrees of, of autonomy in our systems, it will be for everyone in pharmacy to participate in implementation of these new capabilities. The implementation effort is real. It's real work. It will take effort uh, from many folks over a long period of time.
1: Jen, you have the last word.
0: Yeah, Ellen's done a great job laying out the next steps and and you know, the work ahead as well. And it's exciting work and uh, it's going to be very impactful for how we're able to deliver care in in our organizations and meet the needs of our patients. A few practical ways that uh, I'd like to share before we end our our time together here today is um, really just a call for everyone to join our mission in achieving the Autonomous Pharmacy. And some of the practical tips that are in place today to get you more involved can be simply to visit our website, theautonomouspharmacy.com. So autonomouspharmacy.com. There are so many resources available there. Alan had mentioned the publication in the AJHP, uh, and you can use that to familiarize yourself and your organizations with the vision and the framework that have been published. And then it would be extremely helpful, I think to organizations as well as to the Autonomous Pharmacy work that we are doing if each organization would take the self-assessment, and that's available on that website or is available online, and you can determine where you're at on your journey to achieving the autonomous pharmacy. It also helps, uh, helps the advisory board have a rich pool of data that we can access to determine where we're at as a profession and what gaps we need to address. The self-assessment tool can help leaders prepare your organizations to think and act differently by um, having the cross-functional collaboration that you're going to need to achieve the vision and starting the conversations and preparation for intentional change management. Um, Also in proactively seeking projects based on the gaps that you identify by taking the uh, self-assessment tool and and some funding that you might need to support the, the advancement towards the autonomous pharmacy and then in pushing vendors to adopt industry standards that are so necessary um, in our achievement of the autonomous pharmacy.
1: Well, what a fascinating discussion we've had today. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. So I wanna thank our special guests, Alan Flynn, assistant professor at the University of Michigan Medical School's Department of Learning Health Science, and Jen Tryon, associate vice president and chief pharmacy officer for Wake Forest Baptist Health. And I'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for joining us today. Be sure to save the dates of October 5, 6, and 7 for OmniCell Illuminate 2021, the biggest digital event for inspired medication management. Join us for three days of continuing education, insights, demos, and more, all focused on transforming your medication management strategy. OmniCell Illuminate is 100% virtual and 100% free. Register today at OmniCell-Illuminate.com. For the Future of Pharmacy podcast and for OmniCell, I'm Ken Perez. Thanks for listening.
0: This has been the Future of Pharmacy podcast, featuring the innovators transforming medication management. Until next time, don't get stuck in the clouds. The Future of Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by OmniCell.